ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, we thank you for uh, this text and these truths. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would accompany the preaching of this text so that, Lord, we would hear the voice of our of our Savior, that we would see the, the beauty of the gospel with great clarity, and Lord, that uh, tonight we would have communion with you, our God, uh, through your word and by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. One of the uh, essential requirements for enjoying any good thing, some um, thing that you would, you would access through your senses, uh, you need to have... Um, senses that are able to access it. Uh, clarity, for instance, is, is a, a great help and blessing if you are standing uh, maybe on some mountaintop and you're viewing the scene or you're standing in something, maybe a wonderful painting. Uh, you want to be able to see with clarity. If, if you can't uh, see with clarity, all you see are vague shapes and colors and uh, the beauty of the thing doesn't really jump out to you. If you go to a symphony... Uh, no matter how beautiful the music might be, if you have a hearing problem, you're just sort of hearing noises, but you can't pick out the instruments. You can't, you can't hear the distinct notes. You, don't, you can't really even make out the melody. You miss the beauty of it. You miss the enjoyment of it. One of the things that lessens uh, Christians' joy in their faith is vagueness when it comes to biblical truths, even basic biblical truths like the gospel. You'd be surprised how often uh, we uh, can ask someone maybe in a, as um, getting to know them or maybe even make a profession of faith and just explain the gospel to us. And people often struggle to explain the gospel. They believe it. They have a sense of the outlines of it. But there's, there's vagueness about uh, what it really is about. There's there's a lack of clarity, um, and, and that undermines our enjoyment of the gospel. One of the uh, things I love about the Apostle Paul is his ability by the Holy Spirit to explain with uh, great lucidity, with wonderful clarity and precision, exactly what he's talking about when he's talking about the gospel. Uh, Romans, the book of Romans is a wonderful example of that, but Paul does that in all of his letters. He is just wonderfully, he uses uh, lucid words uh, to describe what uh, the gospel is about. And tonight we have a wonderful example of that where Paul, with, with wonderful precision and detail, answers some basic questions about the gospel so that we can have just increasing clarity of what the gospel is and, and why it matters so that uh, we can increase in our delight in the gospel. So the, the, the things we'll be looking at tonight is uh, what is the essential treasure of the gospel? What, what is the essential goodness of the good news? We'll be looking at what is the essential tragedy of being lost? 
Uh, we'll we'll uh, look at what is the essential work of God in salvation. What's the essential experience of salvation? Uh, Paul addresses all of these here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And so just encourage you to give your attention and, and look with me at the gospel as Paul explains it and lays it out here in uh, chapter 4. So let's first ask the question, what is the essential treasure of the gospel? Um, we want to ask that because Paul says in verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Well, what's the treasure? What is the inestimably valuable thing about the gospel? If you ask people uh, to explain uh, the gospel, they would, uh, they would perhaps just say, well, Jesus died for my sins. But what is, and that's true, praise the Lord, it's true, but what's the essential treasure? In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about, uh, gives a parable, parable about a man who uh, was working in a field and he, he finds a treasure in that field and, and with great joy he sells everything he has so that he can buy that field and have the treasure. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, what is the essential treasure of the kingdom of heaven? What's the essential treasure of the gospel? Is it justification by faith? Is that the essential good news that we are made right with God and declared to be righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us freely and forever? That is a magnificent foundational fundamental truth of the gospel, but it's not the essential goodness of the gospel. What about the removal of the wrath of God? That's, that is wonderful good news. What about removal of guilt and, and being liberated from slavery to sin? Praise God, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. But that is not the essential treasure of the gospel. What about eternal life? That is so magnificent, we can't really even get our minds around it. To dwell with, a, uh, with God with a perfected body forever and ever and ever and ever and ever with no end. It's an, that's an unbelievable gift. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart are enlightened so that you might know the riches of your inheritance uh, in glory. But that is not the essential goodness, the essential treasure of the gospel. I believe that Paul would say that the highest good, the essential treasure of the gospel is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I think I can say that confidently because after Paul has spoken those words in verse 6, he immediately says these words in chapter 7, having, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have the treasure of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the essential goodness of the gospel, the essential treasure of the gospel. Paul, in fact, in verse 4, defines the gospel as the gospel of the glory of Christ. 
So I say on the basis of Paul's words here in 4 and 7 that the essential, and 6 as well, the essential treasure of the gospel is an experiential knowledge of the glories and beauties of God as they are revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me just say that one more time. The essential treasure of the gospel is an, an experiential knowledge of the glories and beauties of God as they are revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. That coincides with what we see throughout Scripture. We don't have time to uh, do a full survey, but just um, think with me about Moses pleading with God. Here's a man who, who knows God well, and yet the more he knows of him, the more he needs to know him. And so he pleads, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. David says in Psalm 27, one thing have I asked, and this is what I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That is not just, that is not just a um, sort of a hobby of David. That's not an interesting sidelight of his life, just kind of something he was into. That is hardwired into every human made in the image of God. That we have been created for glory, the glory of God. And just as the tongue was made to taste and the ear was made to hear and the eye was made to see, the human soul was created to experience the riches of the glory of God and it will never be satisfied until it does. Jesus, in fact, says this is eternal life, that they might know you, know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And so the treasure of the gospel, if people ask you, what, what, is, what is Christianity about? This is what Christianity is about. It's not about going to church. It's not about trying to be a good person. The essence of being a Christian is a person who has experienced the beauty and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that by a miraculous, supernatural, sovereign intervention of God into your own heart. The treasure of the gospel is that God has made a way for sinners to see his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And that phrase, in the face of Jesus Christ, is critical to the text. What is the glory of God? We say the words. What does it mean? If I ask you... what? Define for me the glory of God. What would you say? Well, the glory of God is the sheer weight and reality of God in all of his attributes, in all of their perfections. So the glory of God is, is God in the full splendor and beauty of his holiness. So, so brilliant. <coughs> so overwhelming that holy angels hide their faces as they worship. The glory of God is God in the consuming fire of His justice and God in the awesome, terrifying reality of His omnipotence and His omniscience and omnipresence. God as he is. <clears throat> the experience of that for sinners 
is death. To experience the glory of God, God as He is, as a sinner, is to experience eternal trauma. Because you see, to experience God's holiness and justice and power as a sinner, when you, the sinner, come into the presence of God as He is, in His holiness, justice, and power, you will experience that as judgment, desolation, terror, wrath, damnation, the end. If throughout Scripture, when you find people meeting God or thinking they meet with God, they collapse. They are undone. They fall as though dead. The truth is, you see, as sinners, we can't handle the truth of the glory of God. We cannot survive the glory of God. He is the flame and we are the moth. We can't handle the glory of God unless, unless it is revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Because in the face of Jesus Christ, all the glory of God that once terrified and threatened us, all the righteousness of God that stood opposed to us, all the justice of God that stood over us to condemn us, and all the power of God that was able to crush us forever, all of those glorious attributes of God have been turned to our benefit and our joy in the face of Jesus Christ. Take just, for instance, the justice of God. Martin Luther would talk about the righteousness of God and the justice of God, and he said, I hated it. I hated the righteousness of God because I was unrighteous, and the righteousness of God meant that God must condemn me until he came to understand the gospel. You see, in the face of Jesus Christ, the justice of God is no longer a mortal danger. It's a great comfort. If Christ has died for me, bearing my sin and atoning for my sin, and accomplishing my righteousness. And if he has given that to me as a free gift received by grace through faith, then it is precisely, you see, the justice of God that I can appeal to. It is the justice of God in the face of Jesus Christ that means that the law no longer can condemn me. And that the devil can no longer accuse me. There's no more condemnation left for those who are in Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, you see, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He cannot both put his son on the cross to bear your sin and then make you bear your sin. The justice of God is our, is our refuge. The holiness of God is no longer terrifying. It's beautiful. It moves us to worship. Holiness is not our dread any longer. It is our destiny. We have been called to holiness by the power of God, and we shall be holy. We will be like Jesus. Omnipotence is no longer a threat but our refuge. If God is for us, which he certainly is in the face of Jesus Christ, in the cross of Jesus Christ, well, who can be against us? The sovereign power of God is at work to preserve you to present you without fault and great joy in his glorious presence. You see, the essential good news of the gospel is that God in Christ has made a way for sinners like you and me to see his glory and not be destroyed, but rejoice, worship, 
be filled, be satisfied. In fact, the gospel welcomes us to come and see God in the face of Jesus Christ, to see his glory, to see the magnificence and and the beauty and the holiness and the goodness, the righteousness, the obedience, the love, the grace of Jesus, and to keep seeing it and receiving it forever as the one thing that we desire. That's the essential treasure of the gospel. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Justification is is beautiful and and glorious because it opens the way for us to see God. All the blessings of the gospel lead to this essential good thing, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that then highlights the essential tragedy of lostness. What's the greatest tragedy of being lost? I think we might think, it's well, you're going to, you're going to go to hell, and, and that's true. But what's the hell of hell? The hell of hell is not seeing the glory of God forever. The light of the glory of God will never shine on you. If the greatest good is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the greatest tragedy of being lost is not being able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, we have to have a, a proper biblical understanding of lostness or we're going to be really confused when we, when we try to minister to a lost world. Those of us maybe who grew up in the church tend to think that, that the essential nature of lostness is moral degradation. In other words, that the further down the moral scale people go, the more lost they are. And that's, that's sort of why we like to glorify uh, or we like to hear stories of, of former gang members um, people who, who were really, really bad, right, who came to faith because they were really lost, way down the moral scale, and it really took a miracle to save them. And then maybe we wonder why we're not as excited about a child of the church making a profession of faith because uh, it doesn't seem like much of a miracle. I mean, look at them. They're clean, clothed in the right mind, they love the Lord, why wouldn't God save them? You see, we're just confused. It's also why we're not sure how to evangelize good moral people. They just don't look very lost. They, they're, not, uh, they're not way down the scale of moral degradation, and, and they seem to be quite happy with their life. You see, if, if you don't understand the patient, how can you apply the cure? If we don't understand moral lostness, how are we going to correctly um, speak of the gospel? In the Bible, the essence of lostness is not moral deprivation, but spiritual disability. The essence of being lost is that you're not able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's just white noise to you. It's foolishness to you. It might be mildly interesting at best, but there's, there's no beauty or, or in it. There's no, there's no hunger for it. So if you think about Jesus' day, who were the most lost people? It wasn't the people way down the scale of moral degradation. It was not the prostitutes. It was not the tax collectors. It wasn't even the demon-possessed. It was the moral Pharisees. The standards of piety in the community who had the Son of God right in front of them and they couldn't see Him. And Jesus called them the blind, leading the blind. I just wanted to settle on us the, 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 the tragedy 
of people made in the image of God, people created for the glory of God and who never, ever, ever be satisfied without, without knowing that and yet who are blind to it. They walk every day in a creation that is shouting Right, The glory of God. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the earth displays his handiwork. And Paul says in Romans chapter 1, men are left without excuse. They live in a world that's telling them about God and they can't see it. They can't hear it. They might be in church all their life. It's very possible to be in church all your life and to hear the gospel. But you don't really, you don't see Jesus. You don't see the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Your spiritual senses, you see, don't work. That's the, that's the, the essential nature of being lost. And some of you know this intimately. For, uh, you, you have family or friends, maybe a spouse or parents or a child. And they're blind to the beauty of God in Christ. It, it, it's just water off a duck's back. It, it doesn't sink in. It, it doesn't connect. It's like standing next to a person, maybe you're on the rim of the Grand Canyon, and it's, a, and it's sunset, and it's so beautiful, it seems holy. You, you, you have tears in your eyes because of the splendor, the grandeur of what you're seeing, and you turn to the person next to you, and you say, isn't it magnificent? And they say, what is? Well, well this, just look at it. And they say, I don't, I don't see anything. I have no idea what you're talking about. And they go back to Snapchat on their smartphone, which is exactly what people do. Now, if you love that person, if you love that person, how do you not weep over that? The tragedy. They can't, they can't see. You see, if we love our lost neighbors... We're going to feel the burden. They were made for God. And they can't see God. They don't have the spiritual senses. They don't have the spiritual ability. They're blind to God. I mean, can you fathom a greater tragedy? They're blind to God. And, and utterly unconcerned about it. Because they don't, they don't see. Why don't they see? Well, the Bible has several answers to that. One answer is because they don't want to see. John 3.19, Jesus says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. Sinners have a sense that if they come into the light... Of God, they're going to be exposed, and, and they don't want to be exposed. They like their evil deeds. But another reason we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is that there's a supernatural power at work. Verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There's a malevolent power at work in the world. The God of this world is working with all of his power to keep people from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So blindness is due to bondage. And the people you talk to that have no idea what you're pointing to, have no sense of what you're speaking of, 
You are, you are engaged, you see, you are, you're engaged with an opponent, an evil, malevolent, supernatural power, the God of this world, who has blinded to keep, to keep them from seeing Jesus. And you'll sense how utterly powerless you are to do anything to break that bondage and that blindness in your strength. You see, how do, how do you make them see? We can't make them see. That's Paul, one of Paul's main, point, main points here. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the power is, is God's and not ours. You see, we can't, but God can. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Genesis chapter 1, and there was light as he spoke into the abyss of this dark world. That God has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is the essential work of God in salvation? There are many works of God in salvation. We talked about that in the Order Salutis, and the, in the works of God in bringing a person to life. There's election before the foundation of the world. There's the effectual call when, when the gospel comes and people hear it and they believe it and receive it because of the power of God. There is a justification and sanctification. There's adoption. There's glorification. All works of God, all necessary. But I think here we have an essential work of God. If you want to boil it down, what does God do? God shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God into a dead sinner's heart. And the God who said, let there be light and there was light, speaks into the life of a dead sinner and there is sight. And what the devil was working so hard to do to keep them from seeing, God gives with a sovereign act. He gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the essential work of God in salvation. And when God does that work, the chains fall off, the scales are removed, and people who formerly hated God wanted nothing to do with God, suddenly find themselves worshiping and confessing their sin. You read it over and over again in the book of Acts, where even the apostle Paul, who, who if anyone hated God, it was Paul, Saul then known. And he's on the road to Damascus because he hates God and he hates the church of Jesus Christ and he's going to persecute and kill the followers of Jesus and suddenly there was what? There was light. There was blinding light. And Paul falls down. His life has absolutely changed because God shone the light of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Friend, isn't that your testimony? Maybe you grew up in the church and, and you heard the truths of the gospel and you saw things, but it was, it was right like, like trees walking, one of the men says, when Jesus heals him, but it's only partial. And Jesus says, what do you see? I see men, but they look like trees walking. And maybe you grew up in the church and maybe that's you here tonight. There's not clarity, there's not, there's not conviction, there's... You sense things, you, 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 you believe things. But you see, when, when God does his, his saving work, there is, 
There's a, there's a work of God so that you see the truth of God, not in a vague, ephemeral, shadowy way, but in a gripping and present and overwhelming way. And suddenly, God leaps off the pages of Scripture as a, as, a, as a character and suddenly becomes a person standing in front of you and talking to you about your life and your sin and your mortality and the reality of a day of judgment. And suddenly you realize this is about you and it's for you. And the question then comes to you, what, what will I do with Jesus Christ? And you can't escape the question. Because now it's suddenly become real. You see it. And by, God, by the grace of God, you confessed your sin. You cried out for salvation. You could see. Right? That was Newton's testimony. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. Utterly blind. But now I see. Now I see. That's the experience of salvation, coming out of darkness and out of the shadowy, ephemeral vagueness, and suddenly God is real and he's present in Jesus Christ, and a decision has to be made. Will I, will I worship him, and will I follow him? Will I, will I hunger for him and seek to know him, or will I just continue to live my life on my terms and my way? The work of God is, is that wonderful work where the lights go on. Friends, that's, that's your testimony if you're a Christian. That's your, isn't that what you want for your children? And isn't that what you want for your family, your lost friends? Isn't that what we want for our community? That their eyes would be opened, that they might see the beauty of Jesus Christ? This is so very simple, isn't it? It's so, it's so very basic. What do, we, what do we want to accomplish? We're not, the church is not about a moral um, improvement campaign. We're not trying to clean up the neighborhood. We're not, we're not, a, uh, we're, we're not a, a life coach uh, ministry where we try to help people live happier, more satisfied lives. We are, we are people who have experienced the miracle of, of, of God's work shining the light of truth so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And, and we found it to be life and health and peace. And we want other people to know the same thing. Now, how does God do that in a lost world? He does it by people talking about Jesus and talking about the gospel. There's a just wonderful uh, text, Acts 26, 17 and 18. So Paul is giving his testimony and how, how the Lord uh, arrested him and shone the light. And then Paul, Jesus gave to Paul this commission, Acts 26. He said, I am sending you, Paul, to open their eyes, the Gentiles who are in complete darkness, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, God uses a sinful man who's come into the light to talk to other sinners who are still in the darkness about Jesus, and God uses that ministry as his powerful weapon to open the eyes of the blind and to turn people from the power of Satan to the power of God that they might be forgiven and sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the mission of the church. As we live in a dark and darkening world. That's our mission. That's our calling. To preach and teach and talk about Jesus so that blind people can see by the power of God that the light goes on as God shines that light and brings them to faith. Let me close 
tonight just a few questions. Do you see Jesus? As you think about your Christian life, I think we so often think about how we're doing in terms of have we given way to our besetting sin? How are we doing with our devotions? Those are, all, those are all good questions. But you see, if the essential treasure of the gospel is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that that is truly a treasure to us, then the best question maybe to ask yourself is, am I growing in my delight in Jesus? Regardless of how you're doing in terms of your morality, how's your sight because you see, when, as we see Jesus, that's what sanctifies us with a true sanctification. And, and so we have a right to pray this. Lord, open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. That's a, that's a wonderful prayer. Help me to see the value and the glory and the beauty of Jesus so that the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Just ask yourself, how, how am I doing in my heart concerning how I think of, how I value, how I treasure delight in Jesus. Is he beautiful to me? Do I, do I sense that in light of everything else in my life, I want more and more to see the glory of God in his face? Because, friends, he's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. As we think about Jesus, the Son of God himself, come to be with us and like us in every way and then to bear our sin the guilt of man and the wrath of God have been on Jesus laid. And because of Jesus, your sin is atoned for. Because of Jesus, the way has been, has been opened that you can enter into the light of the glory of God and not be consumed. You are free to walk with God, free to see the glory of God, free to go boldly into his presence, free to live with him forever in the light of his glory and grace. That's the gospel. That's the treasure. May God grant that we lay hold of it. May God grant that we speak of it and that many come to know the saving grace and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Amen. Oh God in heaven, uh, thank you. Oh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his beauty. Thank you for his saving work on our behalf. Thank you that he did all this, that we might see his glory. We might see the Father's glory and not be consumed, but find it to be our portion, our treasure, our inheritance, our life. And Father, seeing Jesus will transform us, seeing his beauty and his glory, experiencing his grace, Lord, that will transform us. That will turn us from worshiping dead things to worshiping the living God. That will turn us from setting our heart's affections on passing things. That, Lord, our hearts would be set on what is eternal. God, you know every heart in this room. No one hides from you. And I pray, Lord, that tonight your Holy Spirit would take this word, your word, and apply it to our hearts. Maybe we just need to confess that we've settled for a form of Christianity that does, knows very little about treasuring Jesus. And we need your help. We need you to wake us up. And maybe we sense, Lord, there's even a hardness in our heart. We have no desire. I pray, oh God, that you would be gracious and merciful to us. We pray for lost and blind family members who tonight have no care for Christ, no interest 
in the glory of God, the God for whom they were made, the God before whom they will stand. Oh, Father, please be merciful and gracious to our loved ones who are blind tonight. And we pray for our community, men and women and boys and girls who are daily walking with no thought of God or trusting in their own righteousness, but, Lord, cannot see today the beauty and the glory of God in Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the great privilege of talking to them and praying for them and and seeing, Lord, lives transformed by a sight of God in the face of Jesus, in view of the cross. We pray it in his name. Amen. We're going to close our service tonight just focusing on Jesus, his beauty, and the glory of God in him as we stand together and sing Man of Sorrows.